Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Everything is Black and White podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live and sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group bringing you the latest insight into everything to do with Newcastle United. Find us on iTunes, Spotify or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Everything Is Black and White Podcast. It's time for a special episode. We're going to talk to two members of our central scouting team whose role in the company is to make the numbers a little easier on the eye and a little easier to understand. Um, I'm just going to let them introduce themselves and what they do um, to make you guys kind of understand the numbers behind the games. Hello, my name's David Hughes. Um, I'm one of the scouting writers at Reach. Uh, Really excited to be on the show, actually. Um, and yet my role is basically to put in a little bit more uh, analysis and statistical work in terms of um, reviewing football in the mainstream media really Uh, so we cover multiple centres Newcastle Chronicle being one Um, and yeah just really introducing a little bit more in terms of statistics and tactical analysis for the everyday reader yeah, I'm I'm Josh Williams. I have the same role as David. I can't really add much more to that. Um, we just we have to undertake um, regular mainstream analysis, really, just a little bit deeper than than what you may may usually read. Um, as David said, tactics, statistics, expected goals, and things like that, which we which we will delve into throughout the podcast. Um, but yeah, hopefully, we can just provide a bit more insight than than what's usually out there regarding regarding Newcastle and regarding your team. So before we dive into the numbers of Newcastle's season so far, just explain to our listeners then, because often when you're handed a, a sheet of, of numbers and statistics, it can be quite dull. And I know I try and do quite a few stories, um, not in the depth that you guys do, but I mean, how easy is it for you to look at the numbers and then apply it to, um, you know, to the game, to the player, to the formation of that 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 weekend? Yeah. Um... It is now. Obviously, it was it was a learning curve for me and Josh. We, we've always had an interest in it. Um, certainly since we joined Reach, I'd say it's it's increased dramatically. Would you say? Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's generally a misunderstanding regarding statistics and things like that. I think one problem out there is that a lot of bad stats are used and people are inclined to use the wrong ones to to capture a point rather than actually analysing the numbers and portraying what they actually say rather than using numbers to fit your own narrative. Um, so, yeah, we, we try and use numbers in, in that way, I think. Slightly different to, to how maybe traditional journalists would, would apply numbers to, to certain articles and things like that. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not a case of numbers are be-all and end-all, but we like to think it's it's it, it gives think, you a good direction, doesn't it? Yeah, I think what what they are, what, what we like to try to label them as are performance indicators. That's what we, rather than labeling them as stats and numbers, we, we take them as performance indicators. So they offer an insight into how a team is performing beneath the surface. Um, and by looking at that, as opposed to did the team win on the day or not, 
you can get a better insight into how that team will perform in future, whether their results are sustainable, and and things like that. Um, and yeah, I might as well provide a, an example now, a Newcastle related example. Um, in two thousand eleven, I'm sure you remember that Newcastle finished fifth under Alan Pardew. Um, obviously, he was rewarded with the famous eight-year contract, mm-hmm. um, which he'd still be contracted now. Actually, if that if that was um, going to go right to the end, um, and in the summer window, obviously not not a great deal changed. I think they sold Denver Bar, they brought in uh, Debussy, I think, um, but there wasn't a great deal of change over the summer. Um, so Everton was deemed as great, and the following season he finished sixteenth, I think. Um, and you know, from I'm assuming Mike Ashley's perspective, that was hard to comprehend, hard to understand. But anyone that would have um, analysed the the underlying numbers of the team, performance in the cases, would have grasped that this is likely to happen. Um, for example, uh, Newcastle, when Newcastle did finish fifth, they finished with a goal difference of only plus five, compared to Spurs ahead of them on plus twenty five. And Chelsea just behind them on plus nineteen. Um, I think if if you'd have looked at Newcastle's expected goals during the time, you'll have got, grasped that they converted at a high rate. Um, players like Papi Cisse, I think, and Demba Bar converted chances that you wouldn't usually find an out with. Um, and the following season, with the same matches and the same performance levels, because they weren't really dominating teams, and matches were always in the balance. They just the results went the other way and as I said with the same performance levels they just seem to f- fall off a cliff in terms of results and, and finished roughly where you would have expected them to finish maybe the, the year before so this is what these numbers can do they, they can offer an insight into long term performance and what the results are deserved and, and things like that so hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get that across during the podcast in a, in an easily understandable way Is it easy to do that though? Is it easy because for our listeners who might not have that much of an interest in in the numbers behind the the uh, you know the results. How easy do you guys find it when you're writing when you're doing this podcast? I know you do one for uh, a sister title down in Liverpool. How easy is it to get it across and, and to to get people to understand the point that you're trying to make? I think it definitely needs some sort of research into you know the the whole well, the whole aspect of it. But I think now more than ever, certainly in 2019. It's become a huge part of football and you know there's tons of bloggers out there tons of metrics and and even free access sites that can provide this information there's a really good site if people are looking to get involved with expected goals and that sort of thing called understat.com um, and that provides everything it provides everyone's um, all the top five leagues um, XG tables XG numbers for teams specifically um for players as well and that is a really good start and play from there really you can use it as a platform to grow your knowledge on it um just in case anybody is in the way i'm sure they are but there may be one or two people who tune in who haven't really experienced expected goals or they've heard it and not really sure what it is it basically offers an insight to the likelihood of a shot being scored by considering aspects such as difficulty location uh, I tend to provide an accurate summary of whether a team deserves fewer or more goals based on the chances. What it's really good at is less reliance on quantity of shots and more quality of shots. 
a really good example I thought this season was um, when, or well, say it was early on in the season where New, Newcastle played Tottenham. Um, now Tottenham had a plethora of shots where they were just, it seemed like they were bombarding them a little bit. I think they had about 14 shots in total. But the XG was actually only 0.78, which, looking at the underlying numbers, would say that that was, in large, a high quantity of low-quality chances, um, which says on the day Newcastle defended quite well and arguably deserved the result that they got. What do you mean by low quality of chances? So, yeah, so how XG is, is scored, so to speak, is uh, a chance is evaluated afterwards and given a score between zero and one obviously one being a goal so if that's so say you were six yards out with an open goal that would likely be scored around an estimate of 0.85 now if you hit a shot from 40 yards out with plenty of defenders in the way um the chances are that would be scored something as low as 0.03 it's really all just the probability of those chances leading to a goal. So if you can imagine if a team's had 14 shots, but their combined XG is just uh, 0.78, that to me says that the ch- the chances taken were of a low quality and probably didn't threaten the Newcastle goal much at all. Yeah, it's it's based on the historical, historical data, basically. So uh, the way matches have gone in years and years and years gone by, so... As David's just said, if, if a player shoots from 40 yards out and that, that shot gets an XG value of, say, 0.01, that's because that that shot may be scored one times out of 100 or it'll have a, a 1% chance of being scored based on, as I said, history. Um, and sometimes it can it, it can look quite, quite odd. Sometimes chances can be given a lower value than you'd expect or a higher value than you'd expect. But at the end of the day, football is a low-scoring game. You'd you'd be surprised to think how how often chances are actually missed when you look at you know historical data and things like that. So yeah, I think we we, we probably will provide more XG insight throughout the podcast. I think it's something mm-hmm. that like gradually I think will come into main the mainstream more so than it already has. I think it's on match of the day and things like that now. But it's just about um it being widely interpreted as something that is useful rather than something that is irrelevant or doesn't matter. Um, but it is, it is certainly useful and ho- hopefully we'll we'll capture that throughout the podcast. And well, we shall kick on. Just to note that this is brought to you in sponsorship with Hodgson Motor Group. Um, the first uh, thing we're going to cover is what Steve Bruce is trying to do on the pitch. Um, so, lads, over to you. Hmm. Let me start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's really difficult. I think um, you know everyone expected the apocalypse, didn't they, when Benitez left and and then Bruce was announced. And from what from what we can gather, he's basically tried to just come in and maintain some of those strict, like structured philosophies that was installed by Benitez. Really, um, it's not unfair to say that Newcastle this season are very much. Uh, defence orientated side um, they don't care at all for really um, having possession of the ball you know they don't seem to press aggressively to try and win it back um, there's a metric that we use called um, passes paired defensive action 
PPDA. And this provides an insight into how frequently a team presses by measuring how many opposing passes are allowed before uh, defence and action is made to regain the ball. In short, the lower the figure, the fewer passes uh, a team allows before pressing. This season, Newcastle's PPDA is uh, 19-17, which is actually the highest in the Premier League. In, in basic terms, it means Newcastle uh, are the most <laughs> relaxed and sit back allowing teams all of the ball and only pressing when they when they push into into their half um to give you an idea how that changed last season it was 13.6 so it has risen a fair bit under bruce so i think what bruce has tried to do is come in and just keep keep newcastle competitive defensively you know not get blown away by opponents it, it is having an, an impact on the attack as we'll we'll touch on a bit later on but yeah, I think he just he just wanted to keep the side structured and difficult to break through. We've seen examples of, namely against Leicester, where he did try and switch it around, and we saw Newcastle get you know thumped off Norwich, um, and the, but he has kind of reverted back to that Benitez kind of style. It's a bit unfair on Bruce to say you know it is a Benitez formation, but there are elements of last season and the season prior to that in the five four five four one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I think Benitez is. He's just—he's quite a bit of a realist, I think. Benitez, and um, I think he's inclined to just use, almost be a bit pragmatic with it, a bit strategic with it, and impose a style of play that is suited to the players and suited to the standard of his players. And I think he deemed that at the time as he basically counter attacking football, um, whereby you most of the time willingly concede possession and allow the opposing team to have the ball. Um, and then once you regain it, you break quickly up the field. Um, we will get further into it in terms of how Bruce's approach is slightly different to Benitez and how they do compare. But I do think that the, the whole approach of counter-attack and football let the opposing team have the ball before Newcastle then retrieve it and break up the field quickly. I think that's, that's still in place. I just think that in certain moments, particularly early on in the season... I don't think the ball stuck particularly well mm. um, when counters were being were happening. Um, I think the team missed Rondon's ability to hold up the ball, bring others into play before then breaking. Um, I think bad, bad decisions have been made on the ball. Obviously, uh, you're forced into quick decisions when you're breaking anyway. And I think that, that forces players into just making stupid decisions, really. Um, and maybe a bit of a lack of support and lack of options once those counter-attacks do emerge. But I do think that the, the general style of play is just to, to, to counter-attack, to concede possession, soak up pressure, because you've got, you've got defenders that are generally good aerially, gen- defenders that are good positionally and things like that. You've obviously got a back five, and you've got players that are quick on, on the flanks and things like that. So I think it makes a degree of sense, but I think early on there's been, there's been teeth and problems that Hence, why Newcastle struggled with um, with results and performances early on, that and that seems to have changed a little bit recently. I think indeed. I think you will notice over the past few weeks, it seems to be that the counter attacks a bit more clinical, and it is um, working a little better than um, under Benitez. And I think that's probably down to, and we'll get onto these two players down to you know St. Maxman coming at the team. He, he wasn't fully fit at the start of the season, had a couple of injuries, and that seems to have benefited. Um, especially Miguel Almiron. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we 
me and jo- Josh have spoke about this separately, but you know, New- Newcastle's biggest thing is really exploding from the transition. You know, they they don't look to uh, dominate the ball at all. In fact, they've got the lowest possession average across Europe's top five leagues this season, um, which highlights just how little they, they focus on using the ball. So transition's massive, and th- you can see the gameplay having those quicker players. You know, Almiron, St. Maximum, you know, these players can... And even... I mean, I don't know how highly thought of he is up here. You can probably clarify, but I think Atsu serves a good purpose in terms of breaking out from that, from a defensive play into into supporting attacks. Am I, is that fair? I think, is that I think fair towards the end last season and uh, start of this season against Spurs, he came on for um, St. Maximum, who was injured very early on in the game. And Atsu himself had only just come back from injury, and the performance was spot on. And yeah. I think he gets treated a little bit unfairly. Mm. I think he's he's seen as an inconsistent player. You know, didn't have, didn't break through with Chelsea and what have you. But um, you know, he's good as anyone when he gets the ball, he's fit and he can run. Maybe the end product is lacking a little bit, but yeah. When when you castle up against it and they need a substitution, and we've seen it of late, Atsu is 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 probably the first one to come off the bench, and he just brings that bit of speed, that new energy to the play, and it gives Newcastle that outlet to to relieve pressure. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think yeah, he's a player that I think outlets it, a good word there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's because I like that he seems to do the defensive aspects of the game, which is which is really important for Newcastle. You know, Newcastle's wider players they need to drop in and do the defensive side of the game. I think they do quite well, and yeah, and then having that outlet to support the the low man up top, who's obviously uh, Joel on this season, was Rondon last season. Um, it's 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 huge, yeah. You mentioned their defence. I think someone who also doesn't probably get enough praise is, is Miguel Almiro and everyone's focusing, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, about he's not scored, he's not provided an assist. Um, OK, he hasn't, but everything else in his game is, is crucial to Newcastle. And a key element of that is that defensive work. We see him back all the time, um, you know, sticking a leg in or applying pressure, and then he gets the ball and he, he can burst forward. And he's often the man who starts the attack, and you know we've seen recently Newcastle often get a goal from from something Almiron has has, has played a large part in. Yeah, definitely. I think it is is hard. The, the thing for for Newcastle's um, philosophy and um, structure to work is they need every player to certainly defensively do their job, and they they can't really carry anyone in the side. Otherwise, teams will expose the area where they're not picking up. And the likes of Almiron has been really important. Um, I know last year that he was he was the most important player in terms of building chances that he didn't provide the shot or final pass for. So it it shows the integral work that he's doing for Newcastle. That you know maybe the narrative of him not getting that eagerly away to goal or assist is kind of clouding what he actually does for the side. I, th- I think he's very much a Benitez in that regard. I think he's he's got the defensive outputs, the work rate and things mm. like that. And okay, okay, he hasn't delivered particularly that yet. But I think he arrived with outputs in addition to that. He was able to provide the defensive endeavour. But he combined that with an ability to score, an ability to assist, an ability to create. And, uh, you know, as you say, he hasn't yet done it particularly um, at St James's Park and things like that, but I think initially he was signed very much as a Benitez type player for me. I think the important thing is to remember that in the MLS, he didn't score often. It was when he scored, he then went on a run of 
five, six games where he got a bunch of goals as opposed to scoring every other game. And when you speak to people over in America and people um, in his home country, there is a bit of a, a shock that he's been sold as this guy who will get you 20 mm. goals a season or who will score consistently. Yes, they have expected him to score a couple already because he has been in LA, yeah, but you know, they say he was never a consistent goal scorer. That's not his game. It's not why they think he's been brought in. So to have to be told by certain pundits that he's not doing his job, there is that little bit of shock. And I'm sure oh. the stats kind of say, well, actually, you know, he's crucial in a lot of other ways and the goals aren't necessarily the most important thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, I suppose while, whilst, whilst we're on the subject of him, we probably should talk about him a little bit maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you look at his XG since he's come to the Premier League, that's it's three point eight, which basically says chances he's had he should have scored around four goals. Or yeah, scored he, the, the average goals. player would have scored about around four goals by now. Yeah, but do you remember? And Josh, you'll remember this. We we had a conference earlier this year uh, in London, and there was an interesting story about uh, Ben Teke. Um, Ben Teke obviously famously went 358 days without scoring a goal and it looked as if he'd just become a really bad player overnight but um, it's just some further analysis in, in terms of actually watching his, his chances in front of goal watching the footage you know you could see watching it that he was he was overthinking his one-on-ones and he was hesitant in that last second before before taking it, obviously feeling the pressure of, of not scoring goals. And I think we're seeing that with Almiron a little bit. You know, you've talked about how he, he seemed to score in, in segments, you know, he, he stockpile almost and then go a few games without. That, to me, is a standard confidence player. And obviously, he's going to be low on confidence. And I just wonder how much of that's getting, having an impact on it. Um, plus, another thing was... In the MLS, he was averaging three point two nine shots per ninety minutes. Yeah, that's what I noticed. That yeah, that's quite that's high output. That really, yeah, well, I mean, it makes you wonder if he's a bit of an output merchant, doesn't it? Where he needs more shots to convert more goals, and it's only one point eight seven in the Premier League since he's arrived, so it's a big drop. But I was shocked at that because looking at the stats from this season, he is top of uh, you know average chances per game, and you think, well, yeah, yeah. I suppose actually looking at it. That's understandable, but I, w- I would have expected maybe uh, you know Joe Linton or someone else to be top of this, and I guess that in a way shows where Joe Linton is lacking. Again, we'll get on to that. Mm. But I mean, is it a case that you think looking at the stats and, and looking at the games that you know the, the goals will come for? Part of me, one. I, th- I think for me, it's it's been a, a real adjustment period for him. Um, like you you mentioned about his, his time in MLS. Okay, he did get a. Um, Plenty of his goals and bursts and things like that, but on average, based on roughly six thousand minutes of MLS football, which is a fair sample size, he scored roughly once every one and a half matches. Uh, sorry, he scored or assisted once every one and a half matches. And as we just mentioned there, if you sh- if you shooting over three times a match, just to put a bit that into a bit of context, the the best the best players out there, the players that tend to score quite a lot, tend to shoot about three or more times a match. Mohamed Salah, for example, tends to average about 3.7 shots a match. Sadio Mane tends to average about 2.5-ish. Firmino, 2.5-ish. So, for Almiron to post over three shots per match over in America, that was... It, it did take my eye, and I remember writing about him at the time before the Chronicle. Um, and I was quite excited about, <clears throat> about what he was going to bring. He seemed to be, as I said... Very industrious player, but 
a player that was able to bring output to the game as well. Um, and I think looking at his numbers and looking at com- comparing to, you know, Atlanta United over in America, it's it's a real adjustment in terms of Atlanta were fifth for possession last season in, in MLS. They were fourth for shots taken. Obviously at Newcastle, it's a completely different environment in terms of he sees a lot less of the ball. He's much more rushed when he does see the ball. He's not shooting as much. And if you look, you know, across the board in terms of the shots he's taken, his expected goals, his expected assists and things like that, virtually all of them have just halved. And I don't think it's a case of he's become half the player. I think it's a case of he's he's in a team now that's just doing roughly half as much as Atlanta United were doing. Um, and also you've got to come and bring into that that he's in now a, t- a tougher league. You do, you do have translatable quality from league to league. Premier League, you're not getting much better than really. And it's a considerably higher standard to, to MLS. So I do think it's an adjustment period, but you know he's relatively young. I'm not exactly sure on his age. I think he's around 24, is he? Something like that. Mm. I think he's is he twenty six maybe? Whatever he is, I know he's got still plenty. Still plenty of time. Yeah, he's yeah. twenty five. So he's twenty five. Yeah. in between in the both. Yeah. <laughs> my point anyway is that he's got he's got plenty of time to come good, and um, I, he's not a player that I'd be overly concerned about. I think Dave makes a, makes a good point in terms of snatching at his chances because he's still missing that goal. Um, but I do think he's generally a positive contributor. Yeah, I would I would definitely wouldn't give up on him at all. I think he. Um, I think he's got a lot to give, and yeah, the the minute he gets that first goal, I expect him to go on a on a run. Um, he's still getting, as you touched on, he's still getting in those positions, and you know he's still he's still he's still he's still doing a lot for the team, isn't he? So yeah, I think I think Newcastle fans can be fairly content that he's going to come good. So we're going to look at now what Newcastle are doing well, what they've done well in the previous twelve games. Um, tell us. <laughs> Yeah, I think well, I think a big benefit of obviously Newcastle being prepared to sit so so deep and soak up the pressures, deep, and it's it a lot of it's come from Benitez. But I think we've said before, Bruce does deserve some credit. You know, they've got solid defensive foundations. Um, you know, eight teams have faced more shots in the Premier League this season, including the likes of Spurs and Arsenal. Um, so they're quite difficult to break down. You know, they're organised defensively as well. Um, I think that's yeah, that's one of the best things we've seen from Newcastle. Every team that we actually previewed Newcastle for uh, the Analyze and Anfield show that we do um, for Liverpool, and one of the big thing things that we were talking about prior to that game was just how how difficult Newcastle are going to be in terms of breaking down, and and yeah, I think some of the numbers are backing that up. Yeah, I mean, to me, they look roughly the same as last year in terms of. Um, not often a great deal on the attacking side of the game, but benefiting because they have a solid defence. So that you know they're currently thirteenth in the league for goals conceded, which isn't isn't particularly bad, and the fifteenth for expected goals against. So you know there's not a great deal of overperformance there. That's roughly in line with what you'd expect. So um, they're one of the better teams in the league on the defensive side. Um, I think they're also incredibly disciplined. I think they've got a a group of players there that all strictly know the roles. I think with the exception of maybe St. Maximum and maybe a John Joe Shelby who, who are players that maybe need a bit more creative freedom. I think beyond that, they've got players that 
generally like to be given strict roles um, and just just perform them. And if you do so, we'll have a solid chance of winning. I mean, the answer to this may be no, but have you noticed looking at it from the start of the season when Bruce came in and he tried to do it slightly different to how Rafa had done it? Um, he then kind of reverted back to it, and, and now we're at the stage where it's kind of I don't want to say half and half, but like we said, there's elements of Rafa and there's elements of Bruce. Have you noticed a difference from where it was at the start when he tried to put his own stamp on it and it just didn't quite work? Yeah, I mean, it could have, in that aspect, I think it could have just been too soon to maybe change it. See, the problem with Newcastle, and, and you know, I don't think this is news, is it? They are lacking perhaps the, the quality that they need across the starting 11 to to compete in other areas of the pitch. Um I think Bruce is. I, I think ideally Bruce would like to play a little bit more attack-minded, but he. I think he quickly recognised after those certainly the Norwich results and one or two others that he just didn't have the personnel to do it. Um, I mean, you I th- know. Go on, sorry. I was just going to say. I, th- I think what what you've just mentioned there, in terms of how it's developed so far this season under Bruce, I think it's quite clear that in the past two matches in particular, there has been a bit of a upturn. Not just in terms of the results because they've won two matches, but they look relatively deserved as well, particularly the Bournemouth win. Um, in both matches against West Ham and Bournemouth, they, they got dominated in terms of possession. They posted 32.7% against West Ham. They posted 37.3% against Bournemouth. But they still managed to... Um, they, they won the shot count against Bournemouth. Took 19 to Bournemouth 16. And the shot count was fairly even against West Ham. So, they seem to be demonstrating an ability to get to grips with, okay, we're not dominating the ball, we're not seeing as much as the ball as the opposition, but when we do, we're going to be really penetrative with the ball and we're going to create a chance immediately kind of thing. That seems to have been... They seem to be getting getting to grips with that, as I said. Um, I think if you, if you look in comparison to last year, what I've just mentioned about you know how it looks similar to Benitez on the whole... Last year, for example, Newcastle finished 18th in the league for expected goals. That's relegation standard. But they finished 11th for expected goals against, which is where they made it up. They're doing that this season, but maybe there's a bit worse on the defensive side um, and a bit worse on the, on the, on the defensive side I, as well. But as I said, recently there's been a bit of an upturn. Maybe that'll continue. You know, We're not particularly sure on that yet. Um and again, in comparison to, to Benitez, they seemed to be a greater reliance on crosses last year. Um, they're hitting about roughly four less per match this season than they were last year. Um, maybe a bit more of a reliance on Rondon, but I think the, I think the overall overall goal, the overall objective during matches, how do we get points? How do we win this match? How do we create chances? I think it's generally very very similar. And obviously, Newcastle had an upturn because of goal scored by defenders which is I mean the form of these central defenders um, we've had Fernandez, we've had Clark, uh, obviously Cher um, you know as where the goal is as well but I mean Keeman Clark's Newcastle's top scorer mm. uh, it's it's a bizarre notion given that you've spent £40 million on a striker yes he's still settling in and yes he's young but to have a man who wasn't even in the first team picture last season top top goal scorer um, in the first 12 games. Mm. So what did you say about the crossing numbers there? So this season, they're now, they're now hitting per match about four less 
than last season. Do we know where Four that ra- where less. that ranks in the Premier League at the moment? Well, because they don't see that much of the ball, it's still not a great deal. But regardless. maybe contextually, it's it's still a fair amount of their um, sequences of play resulting. Yeah. Crosses. Well, I'm just on that point. I'm just wondering if there is this acceptance that um, attacking open play chances might be few and far between, and therefore Bruce is putting a big emphasis on on converting from crosses and set pieces, which you know is something that we talk a lot about in terms of marginal gains. Um, now, at elite level, certainly set pieces can be the difference in these low-scoring competitions between victory and, well, I think and at losses. The, at the start of the season, they weren't doing all that well from set pieces because I can't remember. I think I messaged one of you guys and said, <laughs> "Right, probably, yeah. I need to go through oh, yeah, all that, the corners." Yeah, remember, and you, yeah. you said, "Don't waste your time doing that." And I did yeah. actually go through it though, and I think we were up to maybe the I think the fourth or fifth game, and I think it's on, on our website, so you can go back and find it, but. A fair percentage of the corners were either cleared, didn't beat the first man. Mm. Basically, Newcastle were not creating from set pieces. Um, and I think what we've seen over the past few weeks, once Bruce has settled down, once he's found his rhythm on the on the training pitch, is that actually Newcastle now are scoring from set pieces. We saw it against Bournemouth, we saw it against West Ham, um, and they're starting to make the most of of you know the corners. Yeah, well, I mean, what people people still kind of um, connect. Uh, trying to score from set pieces like real dinosaur football yeah, isn't it? You know, yeah, like negative school, yeah. tactics and, and in reality that's changed a lot in recent years I'm sure Josh will be keen to elaborate on this a little bit further but you know um, teams such as Liverpool obviously top of the league at the moment they they scored at how many set piece goals last season it was I think it was around around 30-29 yeah, or so it was a very high amount and there was a huge focus on the same um, City this year, this season they they brought in a set piece um, coast analyst, yes, analyst yeah. from, from Brentford. Um, so what you find is a lot of the top teams now are starting to use the same for as we touched on earlier these marginal games and these in these fixtures. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if Newcastle have identified the same as a way of of scoring goals when when you're struggling from open play. Yeah, no, I mean football is a low scoring game, so. If you can gain an edge by by scoring a goal from a set piece, <clears throat> it make, it makes it makes all the worthwhile on the training ground. Um, I'm obviously a Liverpool fan myself, and I've been, I've seen Liverpool over the past couple of years because we've had consistency under Klopp. Just behind the scenes, work on set pieces, intricate little moves, um, deliberate ploys that look. I mean, you, you had the stats a couple of weeks ago, didn't you, regarding Liverpool posting? In swingers and out swingers and all this, just yeah. to mix it up from an opposition perspective, yeah. you don't know what to expect. Yeah, it was um, basically within a fifteen-minute spot in the second half in one of the Champions League games. You had three different corner takers putting in three different areas of the eighteen-yard box, which is is unheard of. Really, you normally have you one set piece taker and maybe another one, but yeah, you I think to have three different from from the same side as well. It's it just shows those little marginal changes that that maybe other sides aren't doing that are giving other teams the advantage so from Newcastle doing things well we'll <laughs> dive into the negative pool where could they improve what aren't they doing so well well I think for me although relinquishing possession is fine conceding possession as a deliberate ploy is fine if you're inclined to counter attack and things like that um, I think they're doing it too much totally to, agree yeah. yeah to the extent that it's careless mm. Um, like for example, 
David obviously knocked out the, uh, the the possession stat before in terms of Europe's top five leagues. Newcastle are dead last in terms of possession share, <clears throat> uh, alongside Augsburg in Germany with an average of 34.5%. The next team on the list above those two teams is Burnley, and they've got 5% more average. Mm. So it's it's a noticeable gap between Newcastle and virtually every other team. Yeah, there's... Um... I think one of the main issues is, as we touched on already, there's a real lack of comfort or even ambition to maintain possession. But I think that's down to maybe the playing personnel in the middle. Um, you know, we talk, we saw link uh, links recently, haven't we, to to Xhaka from Arsenal? Um, whether he's the guy, I don't know, but they they do definitely need um, a player who can perhaps come short, connect the defence with the wide areas and the attackers a little bit more. Um, you know, maybe Longstaff might be that player soon. Sean, that is. I think Sean Longstaff could be that player. But I don't know if he is yet. Um, and yeah, I think that's a major issue at the moment for, for Newcastle. They need to need a few more ball players in there. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, the Northeast number one family-owned Toyota, Mazda and Suzuki dealership group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from. I suppose one glaring thing that isn't going particularly well for Newcastle is the goals from the forward line. Obviously you have Almiron, St Maxman and Joe Linton. A lot of money spent, only one goal um, between them, uh, Joe Linton against Spurs. I mean, Almiron and St. Maximum should have a few by now, as <laughs> we've already discussed. But looking at the league, only Watford um, and Palace have less goals scored in the Premier League. There was quite a few teams on 11. Um, I mean, just focusing on that 4-3, we'll look at Joe Linton. I mean, why do you think it isn't working? What, what can change to particularly make... Joe Linton in that £40 million striker that Newcastle United fans are craving. Yeah, it's... I, I, well, I think a lot of it is a consequence to what we've already touched on in terms of um, issues with the... or the... Or the um, sorry, I, I focus on the defensive aspects of the game. Um, I mean, just to further reiterate those... Uh, back up the the lack of goals you know, so far this season uh, Newcastle have had the fewest number of shots in the division um, yet they've, they've they've created the fewest corners because they're very rarely up that side of the pitch um, they've got the lowest XG in the league as well um, so that kind of low scoring tally is really reiterated by by the underlying numbers as well um, third lowest XG per shot uh, XG per shot really assesses the the expected goal value of each shot and gives it an average. So what's that? What's that saying? Is that basically the quality of the shots that they do take tend to be of a low quality as well. Um, so yeah, it's not great really. I suppose something else which is glaring obvious is the lack of goals from the forward three. A lot of money spent on Almiron, St Maxman, and Joe Linton. Um, Josh, what stands out for you? Well, I think I think Newcastle are third bottom for shots taken, um, but they're above um, 
Crystal Palace incessantly and Sheffield United. Um, but the, the difference is with those teams, they tend to gain more clear-cut chances, which you can tell by, by XG per shot. XG per shot offers an insight into how clear-cut your chances are on average. Um, and Newcastle's is, Newcastle's is near the bottom regarding that, so I think it's just a case of Steve Bruce needing to improve his team's ability to generate shots that are basically easy to score. I think that's that's my take on yeah, it. Yeah. So, in an ideal world, you want to take as many shots as you can from good positions. Good positions would be central areas, you know, not from far out, um, with the best sight of the goal, really. And the impression you get from looking at uh, Newcastle's xG per shot this season is there's probably more, you know, shots from distance, shots from awkward angles, hitting hopes. If you want to label them. Um, I think I think it does stem though from the attackers in the side. I think it's the, not none none of the players in the team are, are inclined to be real poachers, are they, and, and get no. into real goal scoring positions. Plus, there's a lack of creation in there, isn't it? Because there's they're not creating a lot from open play at the moment, Newcastle, which is naturally going to have an impact on the on the quality of chances that the forwards are getting. And for Linton, obviously, forty million pound price tag. Never that prolific in the Bundesliga, but did get in with a lot of assists. Is there anything there in, in the stats to suggest that you know he is actually playing a key part in the team, and it's not necessarily the goals? Um, you know, Newcastle aren't really missing the goals. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I wrote about Joe Linton before he signed, and um, he he come across as one of the things I said in the piece <clears throat> for the Cron was that. Bruce may have to change the way the team attack compared to Benitez just because he's he's not that same type of clinical goal scoring player. He's more inclined to link with players than use his body really to get himself out of situations. A bit more technical. And a player he reminds me of, although it's a bit of a lazy comparison, is Firmino. Um, when he was at Hoffenheim. I think if, if you were to put Firmino up front for, for Newcastle right now, for example, he probably wouldn't look particularly good. And that's because for one of the reasons Firmino does look good week in, week out is because you've got the players around that, that allow his game to thrive. You've got runners in beyond them, goal scorers in beyond them. And I think Joe Linton wants to link with players like that. Mm. He's just hasn't really got that profile <clears throat> around him. He's actually, you, you could argue he's a little bit misunderstood I think as a player so obviously he's, he's big 6-1 you know he's he's fairly well built as well so you expect him to be like a Rondon target man but as as Josh says you know he is a weird type though isn't he yeah yeah but I think he does thrive like almost as that advanced p- pivot that we've talked about before where he, he needs you know linking up players around is him is he and, been playing in the right position in your opinion well, he's he, at Hoffenheim. He played right centre foot, like a right sided forward, and and even as an attacking midfielder. So there's an argument to say that he's not. He, he shouldn't really be a lone striker. And specifically, I think it's he's more vulnerable again in at Newcastle, where he doesn't have that same sort of attacking support network, so to speak. Yeah, I think he's just he's just that type of player that needs players running beyond him. Maybe it's because of how he's not particularly the most mobile. He's not the quickest. I think he just needs that threat where he's take players are taking players away from him, so that he's got that space generated. Mm. Um, maybe even alongside an Andy Carroll. I'm not sure, 
maybe just behind an Andy Carroll. But I just think in the current setup, I'm not into, I'm not sure considering the the skills of his teammates and what what they're inclined to do. I'm just not sure it's particularly suited to his game. Yeah, I agree totally. I mean, the other man up top, Alan St. Maxman, he excites fans. Mm. He excites Steve Bruce um, just with his desire to run forward. And it's, I mean, his, his ball control is unbelievable. Mm. There was a moment against uh, Bournemouth where he took on about five or six players. Uh, I think Guy Mowbray described it as the moment of the match on match the day, and it, you know it was absolutely superb. But he, he's more than a, than a trickster, more than a man with skill. Um, and I'm sure the stats suggest that the only thing probably missing from his game is his goals. Yeah, I uh, I really like him to be honest. I. He was on my radar last, well, on both of our radars last year because although I haven't got the statistics of the exact numbers he was doing, I'm pretty sure last season he was the best dribbler in Europe's top I've five leagues. I've got those. Oh, have you got <coughs> them? Go on, fire them in. <laughs> 183 players amassed over 2,000 minutes in France last season. St. Maximum was top for dribbles attempted per 90. And his dribble success rate was actually quite good too. And if you look at the Europe's top five leagues, he was second behind only um, Bufal, who used to play for Southampton, mm, yeah, and Wilfred Zaha, who was just behind um, St. Maximum. I think he's quite similar to those two in terms of not having a great deal of final third output in terms of goals and assists, mm. but difficult to get the ball off and really good at driving his team up the field. Yeah. I mean, this season he's he's continued in the same fashion, and what's impressive is we've talked before about translating, you know, that sort of form from from a, a perceived lesser league, which league one is, to to the Premier League, and you know, this season he's averaged twelve point three dribbles per ninety with a very high success rate of nearly sixty one percent. I mean, for comparison, that does better. Zaha, who you've just met- mentioned, and Raheem Sterling. Um, I think it ranks maybe around third in the Premier League for players who've... Second. Second. We've got... Uh, who have you, you got ahead of him? Traore? Traore, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. want to say that, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's really <coughs> impressive. Just on that, the dribbling start, if my uh, stats are correct, I was surprised at the low number that Miguel Almion has because you see him in the games mm. and he does appear to pick up the ball and drive forward. But actually, the, the, the stat for dribbles per game is actually relatively low yeah I mean I haven't got the number in front of me but um, that that doesn't surprise me too much actually that, and I know he does progress the ball but I, I don't really have him down as a big dribbler would you, would you no, have him I think because he's, he's short because uh, he's quick accelerates over yeah over at short distances. distances yeah yeah totally I think he's inclined to be put into that box but yeah on the uh, on St. Maximum though the as you touched on earlier, I think one of the big issues he does have is his is, is final ball. I mean, the exciting thing is he's only 23, so it seems like he's got the dribble aspect of his game boxed off already, which is huge. But yeah, I um, I was having a look earlier and he averages around 2.5 passes into the box per 90 minutes, but less than one of them finds its intended target. Um, so it's not a lot. And okay, he's, he's impacted by he's maybe only got one target to try and aim for normally at Newcastle but you'd expect that to improve and I think the best way Newcastle can improve or indeed get the best out of him is is just trying to get him on the ball more um, he's only 22 he, years old as well 
Right, is he 20? I had him as 23, but 22 even better. Um, Just double check that, actually. Yeah, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't receive a lot of passes in the game either, maybe around six or seven per 90. So it, if, if Newcastle can get him on the ball a little bit more, I think what you'll find is there'll be an, an increase in his output in terms of crosses and balls into the box, which can hopefully start seeing an increase in terms of potentially assists. And when he does run at defenders, it's, it's scary. I mean, oh, he's, he's so exciting. He really is so exciting. Like, he was a player that, obviously, I'm not a Newcastle fan. I'm sadly an Everton fan. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he was a player that I was really excited to see come to the Premier League. Um, I thought that was a great move by Newcastle. And you've got to say the stats that you've got, that's bearing in mind he missed the first few games as well and wasn't fully fit and didn't get his first start until what? Uh, it must have been three games ago now, maybe. Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, you know, these type of players, they, need, they normally need to be at, at the at the best in terms of fitness. Um because a lot of it's exploding in, into movements, and yeah, for him to be doing that relatively quick from from an in, come back from an injury, it just adds to how impressive he is. So looking ahead then to the rest of the season, obviously Newcastle travel to Aston Villa um, on Monday. What are you expecting um, from that game? How are Newcastle going to set up and hopefully come back to the northeast with three points? I actually think it might go similar to the the past two games. Um, just because Villa are quite a box to box team, they seem to embrace the the um, the random aspects of the game. Yeah, the 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 best way you probably describe them is the frantic, aren't they? And they risk adverse. Um, so to reiterate that, they've they faced the highest amount of shots in the division this season, but they've also taken the sixth highest amount as well. So it shows that, as Josh said, they are very much box to box. Um, I don't know about what what you, what you think, but I think it could play in to Newcastle's favour that they tend to they tend to like uh, exploiting spaces within team setup, and they probably won't get a lot of that against Newcastle. You know, if you look at McGinn, he was being fantastic. Um, really, he was in the Championship, and he's he's doing it in the Premier League this year. He kind of thrives on picking up those spaces. Um, Grealish as well. He loves he loves running with the ball and. You, you know, you're going to struggle a little bit, I think, against Newcastle, and that could work in, in their favour. Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think from Newcastle's perspective, to coming up against quite an elastic team, quite an end-to-end, bit of a crazy team, to be honest. And I think that might benefit it, but might benefit Newcastle. Um, Villa have faced 11 more shots than Norwich, for example. It's kind of like a, a you-have-a-go, we-have-a-go vibe over there, so hopefully that'll um, allow the likes of maybe Almiron to get his first goal. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Just a way of you thinking Josh is struggling here. <laughs> it is. Well, he is because he's got a, some sort of bad thoughts. So we're going to round of applause for Josh uh, getting through this because um, it is. Some, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. You know, there's no words to describe how he's feeling. I do wish we were recording it now, to be honest, because he's. Uh, the Scouts accent usually sounds better than this. <laughs> we might put the bloopers reel out at another time. Um, but I mean. Looking ahead then to the rest of the season, because Newcastle, it was important that Newcastle built on the win against West Ham, they did against Bournemouth, and it's important that they they start beating these sides around them, what we saw at the start of the season, you know, they lost off Norwich, they drew against Watford, they drew against Brighton, in games, arguably, they probably, you would say, maybe should have lost, looking at the stats, mm. and Villa's another one where they, they really need to go and they need to get three points, mm. um, and, you know, by this point, they could be 
fifth in the league have yeah. results to go their way. It's, it's bizarre how close the table is. Oh, well, it's it's three points from fifth to fifteenth at the moment, crazy. which is bonkers. I don't, you know, I think the difference last season was closer to twenty points from those positions. So it just shows how compact it is. So what do you foresee then for the rest of the season? I think if we look at the if we're looking at the underlying numbers, are we are we just have? Um, I expect Newcastle to be, you know, a bottom eight side. If I'm being brutally honest, um, I'd like to think they can steer away from relegation. Um, but yet they need to win those these games, such as such as Villa. Um, there's definitely potential to improve if if Newcastle can find a way to, you know. Uh, use the ball a little bit better, like we said. Improve an attack, but without um, causing detriment to the defense, because it seems to be a balance now where to improve the attack, you may have to take something away from the defense. But the defense has been the probably the biggest success story for for Newcastle season so far. Um, so yeah, it's it really depends if Bruce can kind of bring in some smart. Um, smart players in January and and try and add more attack and emphasis to guess, the game. I guess Josh, one of the main things is just to get the the front three scoring some goals. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a model that we use sometimes called Five Thirty Eight, uh, Five Thirty Eight dot com, and they've they've currently got Newcastle down as twenty percent likelihood of being relegated, um, and that's better than five other teams. Uh, yeah, five five other teams. Yeah, yeah, five other teams. It is yeah. Um, West Ham, Villa, Watford, Southampton and Norwich. Norwich are the most likely on 74% on their own. Southampton 43% and then it comes down from there. But that obviously bodes well for Newcastle. I'm not particularly sure how much that relates to the the recent obtaining results. But I don't think the picture is as grim as it was. Um, and I think maybe, particularly if they can keep attacking in the same way that they have been, Bit, bit more cohesive when when actually engaging those counter attacks. I think maybe they'll they'll fare better than many expected initially when when Bruce was Bruce was appointed. Fingers crossed. Well, this has been everything is black and white podcast. Thank you both for for coming in. I hope you've enjoyed your trip up to Newcastle. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely, really enjoyed it, mate. Okay, yeah, you yeah. guys, the listeners. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please remember to like and subscribe. Yeah.